Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. I'm so excited to be bringing you this episode. I'm excited to bring every episode. I'm excited that I get to do these interviews and meet such amazing folks and then bring the interviews to y'all. It's really exciting. This is what we do here at Near and Queer to My Heart. Uh, Before we get started, just a few little announcements, some good news. It's always good news. We still have merch left over from Klexicon, so if you want to check that out, we have really good deals on it. You could check it out at Instagram, Facebook, Near and Queer to My Heart, at Twitter, Queer to My Heart. You can email us at nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com for more information on that. As far as our Greetings from Queer Mountain Queer Storytelling Show, we're bringing one to Baton Rouge, May 17th, 7.30 p.m. at the Cedar Crest Bar. If you're in Baton Rouge or near the area, come on out to see some live storytelling. I will be co-hosting the show with Amber Lynn Kimball, uh, some of the folks who have been on this podcast, Alita Glass, Episode 4, Genevieve Reams, Episode 1, will be there telling stories. So come check it out, support our new show as the Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling team grows and expands, and we love it, and we want to bring it to all all the cities in all the world. Ha ha. No, I'm just, that sounded evil, but I mean, it is a good thing. I really do. I, uh, what's been going on with me? I don't know. I uh, got my special that I recorded March 27th that I told you all about. Half hour stand-up comedy special. I will release it before this next episode comes out in two weeks. So definitely be looking for that. It'll be free. It'll be free everywhere. Just want to get it out there and have you check it out. It's a really great show. We had some great openers. House of Blues was amazing to have us do the show there. It was so great. So thankful for that. I work in an office by day. Does anyone else work in an office? It's uh, I love it. I love it, but there's always funny office stuff that happens uh we have yeah one of my coworkers who's been here about eight years is finally fleeing the coop is that what they say she's leaving and uh you know when you leave the office you get a cake you get some vanilla ice cream and you get some weird speeches and that's what we're about and her cake said uh gone but not forgotten and then her name and i thought it was the funniest thing i'd ever seen because she is not dead she is just moving jobs and she's in the city still she's not going anywhere and then they send us an email around about how she's flying away. And that had people real concerned. It was it was pretty funny. Pretty entertaining. Just like this podcast episode. Look at that segue. I'm killing it. I, uh, I'm really excited about this episode. V. Wade, they came into town. Uh, they were supposed to do a show at a theater that has a, uh, a lot of problems. A lot of problematic issues. And V. Wade had booked the show. And then they realized, hey, what is this theater? I cannot do a show here. 
And they started reaching out to folks and got connected with us. And we happened to have a show that weekend. So I put them on the show and then we did the podcast the next day. And it was really exciting. And you'll hear all about V's travels around this country. Uh, They're doing a tour right now, all 50 states. Super exciting and really awesome. And we would like to welcome V Wade. There was a lady last night in the front row who was very not into my set. I was like, that's all right. I'm just going to let you take a quick little nap and I'll talk to <laughs> those nice shadows over there. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. You go just by V? V, Is that, yeah. Okay. Because I didn't know because I know your website was like Trevor. It was, I'm in the middle Wade of like a rebranding okay. thing. It's And then I know the V was like kind of... Like, if you watch Pretty Little Liars, they always have the A is, like, capitalized yeah, yeah, yeah. and things. Um, so I saw that, and so I was like, I didn't know if it was V or Trevor Wade or how... That was the thing. So, like, V Wade works well. V Wade, okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm looking for something that's more gender neutral, because, um, like, Trevor's a masculine name. It's yeah. it's a, well, it's a boy's name. It's not masculine. It's not, like, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I grew up in Southern California, and every Trevor I knew was... <laughs> yeah, nobody's ever been like, Trevor just kicked my ass, yeah. man. <laughs> Well, welcome, V. Wade. Thank you. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. Thank Uh, you for having me. We're happy to have you in New Orleans. I think it was kind of like a kismet thing in a way when we were put in contact by Michael Folk, who Mm -hmm. started the Greetings from Queer Mountain franchise and also has done an episode of this podcast. We were put in contact because you were coming to town to do a show and that one didn't quite work out. And we happened to do our monthly show. We usually do it every second Friday. We'd actually do a scheduling thing, had to move it to the third Friday. Yeah, it was really... Kismet is a perfect word for that thing just kind of lined up yeah um yeah i found out that the uh, venue that i was scheduled to play at doesn't necessarily have the least sorted history um so i didn't want to uh, you know affiliate myself with them professionally or creatively and had that last minute scramble to be like are there shows in new orleans <laughs> and this worked out perfectly and it was a really fun show yeah it was very fun to do yeah, no, thank you for thank you for doing that. And you're on tour right now. I am. Where'd you start? Where are you ending up? What's what's next on I the list? I started the first, so the first, like, kind of kickoff was in Grass Valley, California, which is where I was born and raised. Um, and we're doing all 50 states. So we started, because it's April, started by heading south, going through Arizona and Texas before they got too hot and up in, and New <laughs> Just Orleans, to get I'm sure. through Texas. <laughs> exactly. One of my biggest fears was my Prius overheating, uh, like, in the middle of the 10 and just having to, like... <laughs> dash it like the radiator with water like an old-fashioned jalopy because i know nothing about cars yeah i was like i live here now yes yeah. <laughs> this is where i i'm set up underneath this 855 for truth billboard <laughs> and this is just where i make my pay i'll start selling i guess tumbleweed truth. jewelry so uh going through there and then we Dipped up into the Midwest a little bit to hit Kansas and Missouri. Came back down through Mississippi and we were baptized by the storm. And now here we are in New Orleans. In a few hours, we go to Alabama over across Florida. And then we start heading north. And then we're heading back through the northern Midwest in late May, early June. So hopefully we'll have warmed up by then. So I'm hopefully planning this so that we're at like, oh, this is the perfect time to be here. In every place we go. <laughs> you're doing like Alaska and Hawaii. Like you're doing all We're not 50. driving to Hawaii or, I or Alaska. We're, um, you could drive to Alaska though. I could. Uh, and like the Cassiar is lovely, but I, or so I've seen in pictures. I used to live in Alaska, but just for the sake of like my sanity, I guess, I'm driving the lower 48 and then we're just going to fly up to Juneau, fly out to Maui hang out there for like four days and yes. not drive and then fly back first of all who's we oh sorry so we is uh me my opener jory phillips 
who is another queer comedian who's very uh, lovely. Uh, we didn't know each other that well before this started, but we definitely know each other very well now. And then Cayman Hodges, who is a documentarian and a friend of mine for years now. Um, I pitched him the idea about a year ago because I, I had this road trip idea. I was like, we'll take 12 weeks. We're going to see all 50 states. We're just going to ham it up along the way. And he went, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> but then I got his girlfriend involved. And now he's like, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when I used to live in New York City. And now I don't anymore. And I spent a brief period living in Alaska. And I'm from California. So I have done like three corners of the map. And then just like kind of Florida dangle. And realized I hadn't seen the rest of the country and with the current administration, I felt like we wouldn't have one for much longer. So if I wanted to, I better go do it. Um, I'd also been wanting to tour for a really long time, and I'd never done it. You know, I don't have, like, touring managers knocking down my door and elbowing each other out of the way to, to, to book one for me. So I thought, you know, I'll just do it myself, and I can't do anything without doing it completely. So, like, my checklist brain was like, all 50. Yeah. That's how we're going to do it. I was like, that is a, I did a very small, like a two week tour, um, actually through the, uh, there was a Midwest queer comedy festival that we were going to in Columbus, Ohio. Tight. And so we left from New Orleans. Uh, my girlfriend and I drove up and just kind of hit like Memphis and Cincinnati and a whole bunch of places on the way. And that was so stressful mm -hmm. to organize. So to, for you to do 50 states and do like several months, I'm like, I don't even know how you're doing this. It's, that's why I'm like, I'm already overwhelmed and I'm not even doing it. <laughs> I'm sorry to pass on that anxiety to you. It's an endeavor. I, I could show you the spreadsheets if you really wanted to just get lost for a while. Between reaching out, I, also, I don't have a Facebook, which is a huge yeah, way that people that. get in contact right now. <laughs> That's the first thing I did. When, like, when anyone reaches out to me, the first thing I do is go on Facebook, and I'm like, who is this person? Yeah. For you, you had a website, though. So. I do have a website, which is I helpful for people, because you can't Google my name. You can't Google V. Wade, yeah. because you just get a very important court case in like, the first seven <laughs> pages of results, and then you get to my Twitter. But the... Uh, organizational part of it a lot of it was like reaching out to venues just cold calling emailing following up following up again following up a third time following up and saying hey i'm sorry i keep following up but if you tell me no i'll stop so they reached out and or didn't by and large or then whenever i got booked in a place i was like cool i can stop bugging other venues there and then as far as like routing and all of the rest of it it's just i've google maps and i have become very well acquainted and i did i checked out a little bit of like Thrillist is really good at the uh, 50 state, like here's the most blank in every state checklist. And there's a couple of those that my hometown was on. And so I was like, I'll look at the others of these and I'll kind of plan it to go to the each of like the most blank town or city in every state. Like I, I didn't want to find the quaintest small town in Louisiana. I wanted to come to New Orleans because... Yeah. It's New Orleans. It's New Orleans, <laughs> exactly. How far in are you? We're starting week four on Monday. And we are, I think, a, fewer than a dozen states in so far. We did like four dates in uh, California going down the coast and, you know, two days just to get across Texas. We're going to spend two days getting across the panhandle of Florida. But when we get up to the northeast, it's going to be like bam, 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 bam. So we're about a quarter of the way through for time, but we're not quite that far for a number of states. You, you said you're from Grass Springs? Grass Valley. Grass Valley. Yes. You're from Grass Valley. I am. Where in California is that? So if you go from Sacramento to Tahoe, if you take 80, you have to double back from Reno. The point is I'm in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. It's an old mining town. 
Very quaint, very sweet, rapidly getting more expensive, as is the rest of the country. Yeah, I was I'm from like uh the suburbs of LA. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I've never heard of that city. Way further uh, north, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I was like, I've definitely been to Reno because I love Campbell like and it's super cheap. Uh from Santa Clarita. Technically like Los Angeles County, but it's north of downtown LA, you know. Have you watched the Santa Clarita diet at all? I tried to watch it. Can't do it. Um I think part of it besides the zombie kind of stuff, the actual people that live there is too real. Right. Like, oh, too up, real. Yeah. Oh, at least like, I grew up with that, but I grew up on the shitty side of town. I grew up in a place where like I wasn't poor statistically, but mm. I was poor for like where I grew up. Sure. You know, and so like I always had like these chips on my shoulders about things that like I didn't need to have. But when I lived there, like if you look, I don't know if you've seen Santa Clarita Diet. I haven't. I was just curious. These, like, it's like these giant huge houses and they all have nice cars and, yeah. you know, sometimes one person works, sometimes nobody works. They just have money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that must be nice. <laughs> I keep hearing great things about those folks. <laughs> I uh, grew up on a street near the local airport. So most of the houses on my street have hangars in the back and they like have private prop planes that they'll take. Oh, to wow. fly to Tahoe for the day if they feel like it. Yeah, why not, um, We right? just needed a big house because I'm one of seven kids. So we were definitely like the poorest kids in the rich neighborhood. It's just not to say we're poor. Same like, thing, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it, you're surrounded by all this affluence and usually people are out of touch. <laughs> Where were you in the lineup? I'm my mom's eldest, but I'm third overall. Okay. But I'm also the favorite, so there's that. <laughs> I have all of the problems of a uh, firstborn and all of the problems of a middle child, and I do stand-up comedy, obviously. Yeah, well, that's the solution Look to that. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me and love me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you stay all through till you were 18? Uh, 17. 17. I uh, was enrolled in school early so i ended up going down to santa barbara for college because um, all i needed was to be surrounded by more affluent people <laughs> um yes ole ole and uh went there for four years and i was in theater and you know went through a theater program and the big question for like most theater majors is la or new york we were really close to la and yeah. a lot of my classmates were la bound or they were from la and everybody's kind of heading to do the hollywood thing and i had some meetings with my professors one of them suggested chicago but also kind of caution, like Chicago looks to you like it's going to be a stepping stone to New York. You can just go to New York. And like four out of five, one of them didn't uh, weigh in either way, but four out of five were like, go to New York. So I, I did. All right. So you're at 21, 22. Yeah. Um, I moved there right after my 22nd birthday in 20. I moved there right after Hurricane Sandy. Okay. I bought my plane ticket. Sandy happened. I thought, well, I can't get a refund for this because I didn't show up <laughs> for the insurance. So I'm going to New York and things have been cleaned up. By the time I got there, and then I found an eight by eight foot apartment that I shared with my best friend for a thousand dollars a month. Where were you? Where in New York? That was the East Village. That was St. Mark's between Second and Third Ave. Great location. Yeah, was, was like, our <laughs> that was our homage. <laughs> like, oh, great location. The toilet is in the hallway. Great location, though. You got to focus on the location when you're in here. Really do. You're like right by the subway. We're right by the subway. Like all these NYU cool kids street. walking around. Yeah, if I need heroin, it's right. I'm. <laughs> It's a stone's throw away. I got my first tattoo on that street and uh, then bounced around. I moved 11 times in five years because I started moving, living in Alaska because my, my girlfriend at the time had like a home there. So we bounced back and forth and like we summered in Alaska, which feels very bougie now saying it. Yeah, loud, but that sounds fancy. We wintered in New York, which was not ideal <laughs> um, and just made a go of that and pursued stand-up and improv and storytelling and just basically you know look at me love me <laughs> were you trying to do theater to like acting or not as much after okay. a while i figured this out in in college i started feeling more like if i'm auditioning for plays somebody else is in control of my fate and my stage time 
But if I am doing it myself, then like if I'm making my own parts, if I'm telling stories, all I need is uh, like a microphone. And even then that's optional. All I need is an audience and the audience could be one person. Hopefully it's more. Often it has been less, but yeah, sometimes yeah. So it's I, just the bartender that's yeah. forced to be there. I kind of fell by the wayside with acting. I still take whenever friends were like, "Hey, I want you to be in this." I, I like acting. I still love it. I would like to act again someday. But I, I had a meeting with a, an acting coach. He's like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, I want to improvise and do stand up and write and act." And I was like, "No, what do you want to do?" It's like all the things I just told you. He said, "Pick one." He's like, "I don't want to." He goes, "You get, you have to." And once you do one, the others will fall into place, but you have to do one and like give your all to it. And I didn't really for a while. Just gonna think why I am where I am now. So now I'm focusing more on solo storytelling or stand up or theater, whatever my particular brand of show is poetry for some, because the whole thing happens to rhyme. It's a weird chimera of a project, but whatever somebody says, you're this, I'm going to be like, great, I'll take that and just keep booking me in those kinds of places and then other people will be like i don't think you're like that like that's for you guys to decide did you start doing stand-up in santa barbara or are you uh, mm-hmm. okay there was a talent show in our dorm and i had seen i had went after my high school graduation um, my dad flew me out to new york because he was working there and he was like i want to show you new york city is the greatest city in the world and we walked around and i was you know overwhelmed and stressed and the whole time it was great I definitely learned a lot and then on the plane back, I happened to be, they had like a monitor in the seat in front of me and I'd never seen that before. So I'm flipping through channels and I found the BBC and I had never seen that before. And Eddie Izzard was on stage doing uh, stand up, and I think it was Dressed to Kill was the first special I saw. And like such a, I call it like a ring of keys moment, like fun home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like, there is a person who looks the way I want to look talking about things that are making me laugh all by themselves. Like they're not relying on a cast or anything. That's what I want to do. So when I went down to school, I started trying to do stand-up, <laughs> which based on my like zero knowledge of it was people talk about what's in the news. So like five minutes before I went on stage, I looked up Yahoo News, took the <laughs> Yahoo like news. first five headlines or whatever, and tried to make jokes about them. And nobody was polite enough to like, or like everybody was too polite to like me. So I just rambled on for what must have been like 12, 15 minutes, but they didn't boo me. So I oh, did wow. it again and eventually got better that's hopefully. long for a first set yeah no it really long i just i kept going because nobody i just like started making jokes about like the people in the room it was the most crowd work i've ever done and uh probably the most i'll ever do but that gave you the bug you like did that mm-hmm. they let you go free mm-hmm. did your you know your jay leno like monologue yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing, and then you're like how you doing audience and uh then you were hooked it, pretty much i i mean it was nice to have i was already hooked just to like to with the acting bug uh which is a a term I just coined, uh, but the people in that room gave it enough to be like, "Oh, I, this is a feasible thing. I can do this." And there was a uh, comedy group. Uh, I think there still is called Laughology at UCSB, and I started getting involved with them um, and performing as much as possible and doing it as hard as I can. And now I'm I'm doing it definitely as hard as I can. Did you grow up in a religious household? I did, actually. Why do you ask? I find it fascinating. I think, well, for the lot of queer folks that just at least through doing this podcast, sure, yeah. that their coming out process or just the way that they process 
in their minds, you know, thoughts and feelings and whatever can be tied into uh, how they were raised religiously. Sure, and how um, much guilt is in their Yeah, body. I was going to say, especially the, the Catholic guilt thing has been a strong theme throughout some of the podcast interviews we have. I'm Jewish, and so I get the guilt. Relate to that. Yep. Yeah, I get that shit real strong. Uh, my mom listens to every single episode of this podcast because that's what a Jewish mom should do. Mm-hmm. She's supportive, um, and it's yes, good, and, and, but also is going to give you her notes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I do get notes. A lot of them are just like, good job, keep it up. That's sweet. That's oh, very good. That's, yeah, she's really supportive, which is awesome. Did you ever do the, when are you going to have me on? <laughs> which is, I can only do the stereotypical New York Jewish mother. I know I there she... are Jews from other places, but. Yeah, no, she's actually, she is from New York, but she doesn't have, my dad has like a Brooklyn, my dad's from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. like Canarsie, like Brooklyn, oh, Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he has an accent, which I didn't even know till I was 12 years old. Like, he was just my dad. Yeah. And then I was That's at, the way dad sound. Yeah. And then I was at softball, of course, I was at softball. <laughs> and some girl's like, is your dad from New York? And I was like, why would you know that? And mm-hmm. she's like, he says these words weird and i was like he does say those words weird because i'm 12 and he offered me a cup of coffee (laughs) some water yeah just a regular coffee yeah my mom used to make fun of the way we said orange because they Mm -hmm. say orange Mm -hmm. and to her like the word orange is weird yeah and i was like yeah i guess it's a trippy one in itself you can say you're saying orange all day (laughs) but i definitely think and i know for me you know i had my bat mitzvah and all that but like jewish kind of becomes more of a culture but it's also an otherness i did not grow up in a jewish environment I, i grew up where i was often the only jewish person people knew besides my family and so they would oh you you jews do this or you know whatever and sure. it was it was an otherness and i already didn't want to be an other and i already kind of knew that i was uh you know gay from <laughs> i repressed it a lot until like finally i couldn't anymore but i think all of those otherness kind of things tie in together so sometimes religion can be can be that or sometimes your your identity is so wrapped up in the religion that to be queer to identify in a way that the religion has taught you is not okay mm-hmm. can might be a mind fuck. Right. I, I forget whose story it was last night was talking about, you know, it's not the thing that you ask about families is which church do you go to? Like what, which family are you a part of? Like having those senses of community. And if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not welcomed by this community. And then I don't have one because you don't know that other communities exist at that age. Hand's story last night about growing up from across the street from the Westboro Baptist Church. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. And like, it, you know, Hand's joke about it was very funny. But in like most good comedy, it must have come from just like years of tortured feelings and repression. And yeah, I feel like when you repress things that much, you kind of roll the dice. Like either you're going to like come out and be like, and I'm the queerest person you've ever seen. And then you move to like a city and then you're like, oh, never mind. I just <laughs> I figured out what a rainbow is. Yeah. Um, and or you murder a bunch of people. Well, I mean, that energy has to go. It's got to go somewhere. Absolutely. It's got to go somewhere. Um, so I didn't know if religion, you know, played into your journey or. Yes and no. My family was religious, but we were religious more in the way that like, I don't have a good comparison for this. I wanted to set one up like for, as a stand joke, but my family was religious the way like British citizens are in a monarchy. It's there and it's present, but it's not really, it doesn't really affect anything. It's not real. It's yeah. more like a thing on TV. We would go to church all the time. I'm thinking about going to church tomorrow because it's Easter and I haven't been to church in like decade and i would like to see a southern service because this is apparently where the fun church is <laughs> until it's very not fun that is but my i was southern baptist uh with my mom but i think that was more about her looking for a community especially after my parents split like trying to find some safety some net some group in the same way that she got me involved in like ayso and boy scouts it's just like a thing that you do because you're american go to church be christian and then she married a man who is catholic and i went to uh, mass a bunch I never got confirmed, so I never really got into the um, 
necessarily like the confession and the guilt aspect of Christianity, but there was always certainly this, um, it was, I think more cultural than it was religious. I was raised like with the idea that like there is God, there's only one God. He gives only begotten son, died for your sins, Dorcas begat Balderdash. Uh, <laughs> but all of that was more secondary to more just the heteronormative nineties America where you're like every idea of a couple is man and woman. So I don't know, Adam and Eve maybe plays into that. When I was figuring myself out, I didn't think that I was making God angry. Like you didn't think you were going to go to hell or there was some deeper like soul. Oh, I knew I was going to go to hell. <laughs> I like I had figured out pretty early on that like I've never been a straight A student. I'm a pretty like A's and B students. I let myself off that way. I knew I was getting a B in the like <laughs> moral aspect of things. I was like, I'm already going to hell. It's not for any of like the way I'm feeling about dicks when I think about them. <laughs> and usually, I'll just ask you the question that I, I usually ask it. Go Because um, I know, I mean, I know now, like, you know, we just, uh, you just performed on a queer show yeah. yesterday. So I know that is part of who you put out in the public. But um, the question that I, I always ask. I do put ask, out in public. <laughs> is, uh, you know, when did you really come out to yourself? Um, and then when did you come out to friends and family? And then when did you come out on stage? If that was something, sometimes people like when they started off, like one of my first jokes is about being gay. So I was always always part of my public persona mm -hmm. but for some folks that also was a journey it was in that order i kind of came out to myself in stages because kind of like first got me around to like just the idea of thinking about dicks as a sexual option besides my own um i have a dick i know not every listener does or guest does just so everybody knows where i'm coming from not literally <laughs> anyway i I had a crush on a girl. She was in my chemistry class in my sophomore year of high school. And she was really into the Dan Savage podcast or his radio show, I think, back at the time. Savage Love. Savage Love, yeah. So she had found out about pegging and was talking to me about that, which if anybody doesn't know, Google it. You, sh you should at this point watch an episode of Broad City. Typically, it's the act of a woman penetrating a man with a strap on. That's how I've come to know it. And because I was so into her, I was like, I I'd be into that because it would mean that you were into me, literally. So I... Started kind of, you know, that became a huge, you know, keyword for my porn searches. <laughs> and through that, you find kind of more tertiary subjects, like a kind of on the border of the next realm of like role play is forced feminization and sissification kinks. And so finding like those kind of like that kind of porn made me start to like feel things very differently where I was like, oh, maybe I'm kind of aroused by this. What does that mean? I'm very analytical and very like logically... Uh, approach most things that I see. I want to get to the roots of things, especially about myself. So as I'm like having these feelings, I'm like, oh, what does that mean for me in terms of, I didn't use this terminology at the time, but gender presentation and um, like gender identity. So as I was delving more and more into that, I was kind of like, I know I've got this in me because I had also been like dressing up in secret in high school once I kind of like found out about it and a little bit before. And it, it just always done things to me and I didn't know why. So as I started to explore with it more, I was still very like, but no, but I want a woman to do it to me. Like that's no, I'm straight because I want a woman to do it to me because I'm not like not into men. Don't want that. I alluded this to in, in the allude to this in the show, but I had had such poor luck with dating girls in high school that I thought, well, like maybe I'm gay and they can tell and I'm just denying it to myself. So I very like <laughs> fucking um. Like, what is it, the Niffin syllabus, something like that? It's like, you know, you make the experiment, you find out whatever you want. I was like, I will go, I will find a boy, and I will suck his dick. And uh, depending on how I feel about that will depend on how I feel about uh, myself. And then I did that and went, 
okay, I didn't hate it. I didn't like, I wasn't wild about it. And I think many people who are very into dicks are like, yeah, duh. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, you know, and there are myriad tastes involved. So I was like, well, <laughs> any good scientific experience needs a, a experiment, needs a control group. So I went back and I sucked some more dicks and I experimented with getting fucked by men and all of this. And I even now looking back, I don't know how much of it in the early, those early days was the taboo and the danger, honestly, of and, uh, the like adrenaline rush. How much of it was being appreciative that people were paying me positive attention and like romance and well romance uh, <laughs> physically and how much of that was like this is who I am so I didn't really admit to myself that like I'm I consider myself pansexual because I fucked a pot once and it was <laughs> um, that's one of my worst jokes not the worst but one of my worst ones I I don't mean to say I don't care about another person's gender identity but I mean it's a non-issue yeah for me if you're if you're hot you're hot and we'll work with what we've got. But the admission of that to myself didn't come out, I think, until I was in New York in like in my mid-20s. And after I kind of become okay with that, I had a partner who was very supportive about all kinds, of, very supportive of me in many, many ways. And I, she took me to see Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, Neil Patrick Harris was doing it on Broadway. And we stood in line and happened to win the lottery to get in for like no money, which oh, was shit. really, really nice. Yeah, I used to use, they have the student ID thing to get mm -hmm. in. I um, went to school in New York for a little bit and uh, I would come back years later and still use my student ID to get the tickets. I still use my, I use yeah. my student ID to get into the Oz Museum the other day. I'm just a senior now. I aged puberty, late bloomer. Mine didn't have a date on it. So it's mm -hmm. like, as long as like I don't lose this ID, I am still going to use it for all the things. Exactly right. Yeah, I saw Legally Blonde was like one of my favorite musicals that I've seen and I saw it for $22. And it's the only way to see theater in that city affordably is yeah. to be, they do have the 30 under 30 if you're not a student. Some shows will do like you can do $30 if you're under 30, but that... Cuts off. I am not under 30. No, I know. But you and I have yeah, like those younger faces. We've been blessed with kind of that yeah. blessed, cursed, whatever with those baby faces. So people take us less seriously in life, but we can get discounts. Oh, yeah. But we went and saw that show and it was eye opening. And that must have been so cool to see Neil Patrick Harris. It was wonderful. Hedwig, like and I had no exposure. I'd never heard of the show. It's really wonderful. And uh, like John Cameron Mitchell's created such a I, I like I guess it's still a cult classic. I'm just in the cult now. Yeah. <laughs> Such a force. Um the way my uh, my ex described it was it's like rent in that people see it and they're like I had no idea that this was what I was waiting for my whole life. And it was. Like I was so moved and like it's, it's so funny, but I cried a lot and after that night I went home and I was like I have something I need to show you and I, like I got dressed up in like in femme and she like just smiled at me and said I'm keeping you. And Aww. That yeah, it's it's an awe until you cut to four years later, and then it's like, oh. Yeah, sometimes that's that's. But you can still appreciate the awe moments. You I know? would hope so. I hope yeah. she can too. I really do. I appreciate our time together, even though we weren't, you know, forever people. But she, uh, I'm getting all self conscious. But she'll never hear this. No offense. I you'll have a huge listenership, but she'll see my name and be like. Fuck no. <laughs> okay, so she'll listen to all other 35 episodes. Yeah, then, exactly. Uh, she'll be like, not not V's. No. Yeah, exactly. She'll skip that <laughs> I'll one. wait for the next one. But between, after that, she had that kind of positive reaction. So that was me. I started coming out to my friends. Not like the first thing that I introduced me like, hi, V, they, them. And people go like, what? But then uh, uh, I started getting more involved in different artistic groups in New York. And I started meeting like actual trans people, like human beings, not 
erotic story characters or fictional characters, but friends. And with all of that, there are things like Trans Day of Visibility and just seeing all the support that I had in my community that I wasn't even getting, but the support that existed in my community. I was like, you know what? If I come out, it's not going to be a big deal. But if I do that, I want to make sure that I'm being honest with my family, mostly my mom. So I came out to my mom over the phone and she was, you know, supportive, a little bit questioning because she had never had anything like this in the world. I was like, I'm gender non-binary is where I'm at right now. I told I told her, I was like, I'm queer. I'm gender queer. I'm sexually queer. And a lot of that for me means like, don't say like, ah, we figured it out and this is where it is and we'll always live here. It's more like the island and lost. My sexuality and gender identity like just then jumps up, pops up over different places. She, and then I talked to my sister about it. She ended up outing me to my dad accidentally, like inadvertently about a year or so after that, which was terrifying because of the way he's acted and behaved for my entire life. But he was open-minded to a point. He asked questions. He listened. He still, you know, loves me, uh, which I'm very thankful for because that's not the case across the board. He doesn't get it, but, and he doesn't want to see it, which I'm like, eh, well, then you're not going to see me. Yeah, well. So the big, kind of like the big, uh, like, boss fight of this portion of the tour, we're going to go through the whole South, in which I was already kind of skittish about. And we uh, we end this portion of the tour in Nashville, where he lives. And I'm going to be doing the show there. And I'm going to be like, hey, get ready. So that's kind of like what I'm building up toward in the next couple of weeks. Does he know you're coming? Or are you going to show up in Nashville and be like, come to the show? Tonight? No, he knows I'm coming. Okay. Uh, he knows I'm coming. He doesn't know anything about the show. He doesn't know my material, really. Uh, he doesn't speak internet. He, so like, <laughs> I showed him a video of something that was kind of like very tame as far as my like alternativeness to him. But most of like the big reveals will be happening live and in the moment. And we'll we'll take it from there. And okay, and then for on stage, like I've never applied to a diversity scholarship because I already have so much privilege as it is, like passing for male and being white and being middle class. I was like, I never want to like take that opportunity from anybody else. And then as I started to become more open with my identity and being like, okay, this is actually what I am, and like this is a part of who I am, and I want to talk about it. I was still hesitant because... Do you watch Survivor? No. That's fine. My, I relate to people through pop culture. Um, <laughs> I know what... I mean, I know what it is. It's, you know... Zeke Smith was outed on the show as part of Tribal Council as like a, a, a move um, a few seasons back. And one of the things he said was, I didn't want to be... like. I, it's not that I'm like ashamed of being trans. It's just I didn't want to be the trans Survivor player. I wanted to be Zeke the Survivor player. That's kind of what it is for me as well. I didn't want to be like, oh, you have to go see this non-binary comic or you have to go see this queer comedian. I just wanted to be good. And yeah. so people would come see me as a result of that. But then I started working on this show and so much of it is about this. Like I realized all of the stories that I was telling kind of linked together through this thread of trying to figure out who I am in the world and trying to reconcile my identity and be okay with not being one thing. Not being able to say, like, I'm gay because that doesn't cover the full spectrum. Not being able to say, like, I'm trans because I don't feel I am. So that is very recent. That's only in the last, like, two years that I started talking about it on stage. Yeah, and that's what – because I always have that struggle, too, of, like, you know, like, I host two monthly 
queer shows in New Orleans and I don't want to be I want to just be a comic but mm-hmm. also so much of my public identity and my stand-up does have to do with my queerness and I also think that's important I, that's always something that's in the back of my mind whether I want it to be or not is my queer identity on stage and also being kind of like typecast or like mm-hmm. oh we need a queer comic let's get Amanda G like yeah. I really don't want I want them to be like she's funny let's get a funny person exactly I had that, that same experience where I'm like, I don't want to feel like I am filling a role. I don't want to feel like I'm, uh, you know, part of a checklist to get a grant. I just want to be like so good that I can't be ignored. Although like I, I will admit I'm benefiting from being out in my public persona and that I get to do cool shows like a greetings from queer mountain. I also do think that there is, uh, it is important to have those queer spaces. So it's kind of this weird balance that I always have going on in my head of like, well, like you were yes. saying with representation and I, I, when I do the full show, like I kind of close it on the not the funniest level, but it's very heartfelt, hopefully. It, but it is about how like representation is necessary to make the wide world feel less scary. Because there are like if I had not seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch, I wouldn't have had the confidence or the courage to come out to my girlfriend at the time. Like if I hadn't seen Eddie Izzard, I wouldn't have even known that like there were people in the world that had like. You know, the identity of male lesbian or uh, action transvestite, executive transvestite, like these kinds of things. Just having the fact that like there was a person in the media who wasn't, you know, a tragic news story made me feel like, oh, this is something that I can do. I can be both. I can be myself and a performer. Yeah. And Eddie is such a he does such a great job of not just a stand-up but storytelling and performance mm-hmm. like it's the, the shows are just so well put together and they kind of run the gamut of like everything so you, it's not just like oh we're just going to do straight stand-up for an hour it's like you can experiment with format and you know how you're presenting things mm-hmm. and which rises out of like necessity he's dyslexic so he has the whole uh, i can't write jokes i just have to kind of like find them on the stage and work them in whereas i'm like i I guess I just don't have the confidence that if I, my show isn't super tight, that anyone will listen. So that insecurity breeds my like an hour of rhyming storytelling and so, like, and like jokes that I used to have, like I used to just have basically a joke about how my uh, dad gave me a weed brownie and then I got so stoned. I thought that the only reason I was attracted to women was because of my mom. And so he gave me an edible complex, which is, thank you, the worst pun. That is the worst joke I think I have. Uh, But that takes like five seconds to say. So I entered it in this poetry competition and I expounded it and to make it a five minute piece. I was like, this is a really good joke. I'm going to make it so that it takes longer. And then that in itself, that poem bred the idea of being able to do a show like that. And uh, hopefully it's good. I think it's good. I like. I want people to come see it. Yeah. And you have someone filming you. You're making a documentary. I do. Because the what? ego wasn't quite big enough. <laughs> so we thought, let's fill the Prius with it. Cayman is a filmmaker and he's a, a brilliant filmmaker. Um, he's got a really, really good eye and can pick story out of images in a way that I would never even begin to. And I kind of just initially pitched the idea to him because I, I needed footage to send to Booker's. His kind of vision for whatever this is is still being made. I just know we have a lot of lenses in. We have the whole queer kid going through red states and like seeing the country. We've got the 
tour angle. We have the character piece, if you could call it that, about like the biopic piece of me. We have the biopic piece of Jory, who's uh, an immigrant coming and going through uh, America. You know, I'm alluding to things that I knew growing up in history. I'm like, oh, there's... um you know, whatever it is, like, oh, we're on, like, Camino Real, and, like, we're going to the missions. And she's like, what are the missions? And like, oh, get ready to get sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, every now and then we have a nice segment that is Let's Make Jory Sad, uh, where we teach her a piece of American history. We were talking about, like, the USS Maine the other day. So all of these different lenses in, or each one of those could be a subject for a documentary. I don't know what it's going to be, but... I do know that it is a time-consuming aspect of the tour that I'll never do again, because as much as I love Cayman, we need to hit the road and stop fiddling with the camera. Okay, so you guys have, does he stop and do interviews, or is it more of like just getting the footage of the town? Or? From what I can tell, it's, it's more like he wants to have a series of moments together and like that kind of, so I think it's going to be more like Slice of Life. He's getting better about prompt, when he, when something really latches onto him, he'll prompt. But I think you can tell I, I don't need a lot to just talk for a long time. <laughs> uh, and Jory is the same way. And we can riff off each other fairly well. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Well, thank on you. everything. So, okay, California, New York. How long were you in New York? Five years. Five years. And that, to the day. And you were like back and forth in Alaska? I did three summers, three consecutive summers in Alaska. One was six weeks. One was five months. One was four weeks. What were you doing in Alaska? I was a whale watching guide. I would take people off of cruise ships, put them on a bus, get them onto a small boat, go out and look at humpback whales and occasionally orca, and then get them back on the bus, put them back on their big boat, and be like, thank you for the money. So you were still performing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was the Trevor Show featuring whales. <laughs> There's a brief uh, history of it, and like I brought it all for a circle at the end and came back to like, this is what brought you to Alaska. This is what brought me to Alaska. My girlfriend, she's driving the bus right now. Money, please. Yes. We were very yes. good at, yeah, we were very good at getting that, you know, you get a lot of old married couples on there. It's like, so when are you going to pop the question? It's like, no, I don't know. I want to be able to buy her the right ring. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be able to do it properly. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I see that money in that wallet. Yeah, exactly. Ham was very good about that. You we all have our private like Venmos. To be young? <laughs> don't you remember having dreams and hopes and mortgages? Yeah. So, okay. So you did that back and forth, Alaska, New York. What was that next after that? After that, there was a kind of a huge crashing of my like personal life in New York. One of the reasons I refer to this wonderful person as my ex. It's just my own damn fault. But that relationship ended. I was part of a theater company that closed in the same like week oh, wow. um, as part of those. Yeah, it's for the best. Yeah, kind That's of a timing though. Yeah, it definitely is. And it, that was like the week, maybe a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. And so I was like, I'm gonna go home for the holidays. And then that after a while was like, you know what, the Fourth of July is a holiday. Mm -hmm. So I went back home to like, you know, I was living in my mom's house and recovering for a little bit and recalibrating about where my life was headed because what I've been building for years is suddenly like all gone. And she was in your hometown still? She was not. She and I oh. were in New York together. She okay. went back to Alaska after that. She hated New York. Hated New York. And I don't blame her, but I'm happy that she's uh, able to be in a place where she thrives. I went back to my hometown. Oh, sorry, my yeah. mom. You were asking about my mom. Yes. Not, yes, she is back also in my hometown. Also concerned about the everybody. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, my mom was back in my old hometown and it is a tiny town and like there was no comedy community. There was when I left, and I don't know what happened. Like all of my friends stopped doing shows, so I started to do a, a variety show. That's how I met Jory, who's my opener, and I was commuting back and forth to Sacramento, but that was getting expensive. So I bought a Prius to save on gas, and between 
which is like an it's an hour away. And you know, you drive an hour and then you do a four minute mic in a bar where you know, it's a typical bar show and nobody's paying attention and you feel terrible and you're like, Why do have I ever why did I start doing this? <laughs> Who thinks I'm funny? like where do I have the start questioning everything about yourself? Everything about yourself and based then, on one mic. And then the next night you're back. So you're like, What mm-hmm. why did I do all that? So like I I'm still gonna fucking do doing this that. shit. And then while I was living in this town, I was like, I've gotta go somewhere where there's a larger pool. I had only lived in New York. LA was still there, but I just don't I don't love the idea of going to LA. Nobody's ever been like, you gotta come to LA, it's the best. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, I live here because this is where the work is. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go around the rest of the country and kind of scout out different comedy communities in different places, which turned into, oh, well, I should do comedy shows if I'm going to see what the community's like, which turned into, it's not a road trip, it's a tour. That's being filmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that was that was me just being like, I don't know. I was going to be doing it by myself for a while. Because came in the original idea, I was like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I can't just do anything without people having an audience. I have a D&D podcast, too, so it's like, I can't just play a game. I have to play a game <laughs> for other people and spend hours editing it. But having came in in the occasion, I was like, actually, and this was a bias. Everybody's been super cool so far, and like just some of the nicest people in the world in places that I was terrified, like Mississippi. And like we're going to Alabama tonight and really hoping not to get murdered. But having came in there, him having the camera gives him like, you know, kind of a permission slip to be there but it also gives me security yeah because there's safety in numbers and i'm not the most overtly gay human being in the world which is a weird thing even for me to say out loud but i think like there is a sense where people will target you differently depending on the way you are yeah i've um actually been very pleasantly surprised uh you know living in the south and traveling around and um, like my girlfriend's family had a family reunion in Alabama mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't have to go. Like you just go ahead with your family. Yeah. I don't want to be here for this. And we went and just multiple people just told me how brave I was. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought it was funny because I'm like, it's, it's but, a family reunion. <laughs> yeah. But also like I was appreciative that that was the only feedback I got. It wasn't like who's her girlfriend or like, why is she here? Or, like, you know, anyone threatening me or anything like that. It was a few people pulled me aside. You're so brave to to be here that is like kind of the it's this almost like i guess self-fulfilling prophecy but people are like you have said the same thing to me it's like oh wow you're so brave doing all of this it's like am i though because like i don't think it's as bad as we all think it's going to be and maybe that's not the case like definitely i'm gonna steer clear of the westboro baptist church but by and large i'll see whether or not this makes the cut but you know had seen green book pretty much right before coming out here and my mom saw it with me and was like, are you sure Cayman can't come on the tour? Because we were thinking he wasn't going to be able to for a while. And I am wondering, like, if I was, you know, we use the term passing in, like, queer culture a lot. And we use it for a reason. And that reason is, like, I pass for straight male. So I wonder, and, like, white male as well. And I wonder if, like, I looked different, if I was in a more feminine means of dress, if the same people who have been the nicest people I've ever met would still be. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something I want to test. It's this weird, no. like, double standard where I'm like, I want to do the show about, like, being okay being who you are and being out there. But it's, I want people to be okay being who they are for them, like, in their hearts. I don't want them to feel like they have to perform anything. I don't want to feel like I have to be in an evening gown in order to be perceived as femme, unless that's the way I'm feeling. And I don't want to test people's kindness and be like, are you kind or are you a bigot? Because that could backfire real hard in a very literal way. 
Yeah, and there's a the legitimate safety concern that I mm-hmm. always carry around in the back of my mind, and I wish I didn't have to. And oftentimes I don't have to, but I do mm-hmm. because it's, it can be real, you know, especially you're traveling around to places that you've maybe never been before. So, you know, you just, I hate that that's there, but I do, you know, carry that around. Yeah. And it, it's a protection thing. And it, I, I'm wondering, like, <laughs> this is probably coming from a place of privilege, but maybe if we didn't act like that, we wouldn't have to. But it's like, maybe if we didn't act like that, we would be beaten in the streets. So I'd, I'd rather not take that gamble. It's certainly not with the current climate but i also want to encourage people to feel comfortable being themselves but you can also you know feel comfortable being yourselves and not have to you you, you're being comfortable being yourself doesn't have to be for other people you can just walk around being like i know who i am and i don't need to worry about that confident in that yeah if i'm like i perform in makeup and and a kind of more like ambiguous outfit i love rompers they're frilly overalls they're the best um, very comfortable. They're very comfortable. Not great for bathrooms, but other than that, they're they're, they're wonderful, and they are kind of like a gender neutral aesthetic. People look at me and go, I, uh, <laughs> and I like that a lot. I've lost where I was going with that. I got distracted by how much I enjoy wearing a romper. <laughs> You're like, and back to the romper. Oh, but like, I'm not. I'm not going to put on my face in the morning as we're driving through Pensacola because I don't want to run into the wrong person. Well, Pensacola actually has a very big pride for Memorial Day weekend. If oh, really? You, if you want to plan your trip back around. I will, um, Memorial Day they, weekend, I will be in Fargo. Okay. <laughs> a little too far away to even uh, reroute that. But I'm going to be in Boise or uh, uh, Pocatello, Idaho for their Pride weekend. So that'll be fun. Oh, that's awesome. It's weird because Pride isn't just the one week. It's not like, you know, Martin Luther King Day where it's like, this is Pride, everybody (laughs) do it. Like we're actually catching a couple of them, which I'm excited for. Yeah. Well, I know here they plan the Baton Rouge one plans it like a week before the New Orleans one. And then we plan it before the Houston. Like we all have an order to it. So technically you can spend a month just going every weekend. Just Just following Pride Pride. like the Grateful Dead. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, I kind of like that. You know, I I mm. like the idea of like I can go to Pride somewhere else. Yeah, I like and I like that too that you can go around. Although, even as I say that, I do hate Pride the as the parades and the the confetti. But that's more just my own personal stuff. I'm just I'm not that extroverted. I I don't like going to parades. I don't like crowds and I don't like noise. So I'm like I'm glad that Pride exists. <laughs> I'm so glad that Pride exists yeah. and that it's there for the people that it's there for. I'm glad like speaking of visibility. Very thankful for pride. Not my cup of tea. Yeah, I understand that. Some some days I'm all, because it's New Orleans, we have parades for fucking everything. <laughs> we had yeah. a parade after the Saints didn't get into the Super Bowl. Like that's... Sure. We, so why, why not? not? Yeah, why not? We had one when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, we have a gay Easter parade tomorrow. I mean, we're, we parade... Ev- so some parades, I'm like, let's do this. And some days I'm like, no. I was like, I want to sit down. I can't deal with this crowd. I already have in my mind, I'm like, I have to pee immediately when I get there and there will be no bathroom mm-hmm. and there's going to be some child screaming and I don't want any part of it. And some days i'm like who cares let's get those beads let's like, go let's throw the things give me the yard drink and <laughs> i uh we almost threw ourselves a parade hannibal burris has a bit in live from chicago where he's talking about coming to new orleans and like on a day's notice for 300 dollars, you can book yourself a parade and when i first had the idea i blocked out the for 300 dollars bit <laughs> we don't have the budget for a parade but i do like the idea of someday having video. a parade yeah. it would and it would have been great and yeah. we would have had a sideline and it would have been or uh what were they called um second line a second line yeah and uh it had the whole to do and i'm still gonna do that someday yeah when you and, come back yeah yeah, no, if uh, people haven't listened, Hannibal Beerus is, he, he did that bit on one of the late night shows. Mm-hmm. It is 
he loves New Orleans and he comes here pretty regularly. That bit is so well crafted. Mm-hmm. Just look up Hannibal Buress New Orleans. You'll find it. Everything about it is true and funny. And uh, I just recommend that to everybody. Uh, so what do you see? Like after this tour is done, I know you might not want to already be thinking about it, but what's your career goal? Like what do you hope is going to happen if you had a choice, if you could like write for a sitcom or uh, have your own Netflix special or get on Broadway or like what do you like what would be your ultimate dream? For your, I, I will say career. Even yeah, go for a, it. No, go for it. That's fine. That's, a professional that, that's word. A and sometimes we want more of a performancey word, but. I feel it. No, I think. Where do you see yourself you in You've got to be able years? to do the same. I see myself listening to Hannibal Burris referencing my material on a podcast <laughs> and the host being like, yeah, you got to check out V. Wade's bit. <laughs> um, hopefully, like, there's enough material from this documentary or whatever that it can be a special. We want to pitch to the various streaming services. <laughs> I don't really have one like i've got my wildest dreams my immediate like goal for this tour is to finish it more than anything and like not even get all 50 states i didn't get to perform in missouri we went to a show they had two slots and we gambled and jory got the slot and i was like i'm not gonna take your slot it'll be fine we went to memphis the next day and i found out that on elvis's national tour he did 41 so if i get 42 i'm gonna be happy Uh, and if i don't get 42 i'm still gonna be happy if i get 30 i'll be fine (laughs) i just I want to finish it in one piece. My like wildest dreams. Someday I would love to do, I would love to play a show on Broadway. I would love to write and star in my own series. These are the kind of career things that I would really enjoy doing. My probably most immediate one is quit my day job. That's, that's <laughs> the big one. I want to make comedy and storytelling and performance my job full time. Yeah, awesome. That's a big one. Well, good luck with everything. Let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, so my website is V, like the number, haswords.com uh that's got the link to my twitter and instagram which is at v has words and i think yeah that's the best way to find me that all links to like the tour the hashtag us they is what we're using for the tour um but yeah v has words.com is the best place to find me and stay up to date and reach out and say hello and yeah. uh tell other people to come and see the show in the various places that will be there's a calendar and a list of venues and uh i'm sure everybody knows somebody somewhere Absolutely. So get make make them come see me do the funnies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, your dates will line up with somebody out there because uh, you're going everywhere. Yep, I'm going everywhere as long as it's before July 1st. You have a chance to see me somewhere. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck on your travels. Well, thank Can't you wait very to see kindly. The documentary and the special. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, both. All right. Thanks, thank Amanda. You. This uh, this is a poem I wrote for my dad. Um, my dad named me Trevor Daniel Wade, so that my initials would be T.D. Wade when I was at uh, wide receiver for the 49ers. <laughs> I forgot what football positions I had. Uh, so I wrote him a poem, and uh, in true form, it's about, uh, you know, my dad. It's about family and objectification. So dad suffered from gout, and when his ankles would ache, he'd light up a joint to get nice and baked. One day he was offered a job as a baker, where once he bought zigzags, he could start earning paper. By baking pot brownies with butter that's green at the mom and pop pop shop at E Street Dispensary. Now maybe he needed a fresh guinea pig, or maybe the deal isn't really that big to pocket a spare square of gondolace fudge and pass it to me with a wink and a nudge like, does this make up for missing your childhood? Sure, why hold a grudge? 
I gobbled the gooey treat down in a minute without thinking to ask Dad how much weed was in it? And not even a half of an hour to last when the walls of reality began to collapse. My head started swimming. I lost all sense of balance. Turns out the green thumb is one of Dad's many talents. My heart hammered hurried like a horse under spur. Legs limp like pillows. My vision blurred. With sweat on my brow like an outlaw at noon, I quick draw a thought. I must calm myself soon. Staying upright was no easy endeavor. Come on now, keep together here, Trevor. I race to the restroom and twist on a shower, completely succumbed to the THC's power. I close my eyes, let water buffet my back, a featherweight away from full-fledged panic attack. Out through the mouth, in through the nose. I needed something to take my mind off these woes. What can I do to lower my heart rate? What do I have that's on hand? Okay, great. <laughs> Where this story is going shouldn't come as a surprise. I focus and picture a pair of girls' eyes. A pair of eyes, if you know what I mean. The ones that aren't blue, sometimes brown, Star Trek green. Some of you are starting to see what I mean. Uh, the ones below the neck and in between shoulders that women develop as they get older. They fill out their sweaters when the weather gets colder. Those chest-mounted mountains that make you feel bolder and fill your eyes with fire so every look smolders. Breasts. <laughs> and as I picture these orbs of perfection and bare-chested friends whose names I won't make and mention, <laughs> my blood begins pumping in a southward direction, giving me a more or less massive erection, and despite the effects of the cannabis confection. But before I can start to finish, I face introspection. See, I'm still high as heck, so my mind starts to wander. Why this reductive preference for peepers, I ponder? Then I realize, my mom's got big eyes, and could it be so that those hours on her bosom as she read Go Dog Go have embedded, though I come from one of her eggs, some pseudo-Fordian urge in my genetic dregs? And that's what's causing the stiffening betwixt my legs? <laughs> the butt collides with my noggin like a hot atom bomb. Does this mean I want relations with my mom? <laughs> oh no. I shudder like I've just seen a lich. My reaper mad dad is a son of a bitch. No offense, Grandma Pat. Now that we've come to that, this mania for matriarch memories, he probably had it for you, and passed it to me, then dosed me with powerful chocolatey weed. I'm so disturbed, I might develop a tick. I figure I might just kill that bald prick. Sure, he's tolerable enough when we're sharing a duty, but the bastards bereft me of my love for boobies. <laughs> now my you know was shriveled like the arms of a T-Rex, because that mother shut your mouth in an edible complex. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, V. Wade, for sharing their world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Thanks to all our friends and supporters out there. You can check out Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, Oakland, and now in Baton Rouge. We are growing and growing. Check us out. Find us on Facebook, um, social media, Twitter, Instagram, near and queer to my heart at gmail.com. Hit us up. Thank you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.